Good morning, if you would, grab a Bible. We'll turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah 6 is where we will be centering our study. We'll begin here in Jeremiah 6. We'll be moving throughout the book of Jeremiah uh, for this period of our worship. Jeremiah chapter 6. Good to see you this morning. We have visitors. Thank you so much for being here. We always want you to feel welcome. Thank you for taking the time to join us in worshiping God this morning. I want to say a word of appreciation. I was gone this last week preaching with the Martinville congregation. And a number of you, I guess, are gluttons for punishment, did not have enough of hearing me week in and week out, and came up there and supported that meeting. And I just appreciate that so much, especially because you knew you had heard the sermons before. And you came and heard them again anyway. I appreciate that so much. It's good to be back home and good to be before you. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 6. The text says, Jeremiah 6, 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, cut down her trees, cast up a siege mound against Jerusalem. This is the city that must be punished. There is nothing but oppression within her. As a well keeps its water fresh, so she keeps fresh her evil. Violence and destruction are heard within her. Sickness and wounds are ever before me. Be warned, O Jerusalem, lest I turn from you in disgust, lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. You can tell from the reading that bad things are coming to Jerusalem. An army is coming from the north, the army of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. And they're going to bring judgment on God's people for their evil. And so God sends Jeremiah to tell them about it, to warn them about it beforehand so that perhaps they'll change their ways and miss this great judgment that's coming. But because of that setting, Jeremiah is a book that is full of gloom and doom, warning and impending judgment and trouble, and you can hear the tone. It is a harsh, sharp tone. So, for example, we have this statement in Jeremiah 25 and verse 9, "...because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north," declares the Lord, "...and for Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting destruction." It is a book of judgment. And yet, as you study through the book of Jeremiah, what is surprising is that despite that tone, there are some of the most amazing statements to give hope you have statements like these. This is Jeremiah 12, 15. After I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them and I will bring them again each to his heritage and each to his land. Or this one you've probably seen on a coffee mug or a poster or something. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Isn't it amazing that the book that is full of such judgment is also the book that is full of such hope? And I want us to think about why that would be for a few minutes this morning. It is Jeremiah who tells the people about a new covenant in which God will act in a new way and they will know Him in a deeper way. It is Jeremiah who tells about the righteous branch, the descendant of David who is going to come and reign in righteousness and justice, a picture of the Messiah. It is Jeremiah who sits in the ruins of the city of Jerusalem and finds reason in, in seeing among the rubble and the ashes reason for hope. And so I want to talk for a few minutes about how we can find hope from the ashes. That there is light in dark places and dark times. But I don't just want to talk about Jeremiah and his time this morning. I want us to think about how that's a true principle when we deal with God. How even the worst situations in God's hands become blessings. How there is hope even in terrible situations. It seems to me that as we live in the midst of a people 
who have by and large forgotten God. Sometimes we can be discouraged by that. It seems to me that as we look in the mirror, sometimes we're discouraged by that. As we look at our lives and our relationships and we look at our financial problems and we look at our relational problems and we look at all the different issues that seem to be all around us, one of the first casualties is our hope. We become jaded. We become jaded about other people. We become jaded about ourselves. We think that things are always going to be the way they are in this moment. And I just want to show you from the book of Jeremiah that there is still hope. I want us to know that we don't have to live with this sensation that nothing is ever going to change and everything is terrible and it's just going to get worse. That even Jeremiah, in such a dark time in the history of his people, found room for hope. And you and I can live with hope in our time. So first of all, Jeremiah shows us there's still hope that people can still change. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5. One of the awful things about this time in Jeremiah's era is that the people have become so wicked that God has no choice but to punish them. Jeremiah 5 and verse 1, he says, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Look and take note. Search her squares to see if you can find a man. One who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. Though they say, as the Lord lives, yet they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look for truth? You have struck them down, but they felt no anguish. You have consumed them, but they refuse to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, these are only the poor, for they have no sense. For they do not know the way of the Lord, the justice of their God. I will go to the great and speak to them. For they know the way of the Lord and the justice of their God. But they all alike had broken the yoke. They had burst the bonds. Notice that this is the old Sodom problem. He says, go find somebody who is righteous and maybe I can spare the city. But he says, not ten, like Abraham got God down to ten during his story. He says, just find one. See if you can find a man, in verse 1, one who seeks justice. Now, of course, this is not literal. There were some righteous, a righteous remnant in Judah at this time. But you get his point. You look around and you don't see anybody. You can't find one who is a righteous person. Turn the page to Jeremiah 6. Jeremiah 6 and verse 13. Jeremiah 6, 13, For from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest... Everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. I set watchmen over you, saying, Pay attention to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not pay attention. You notice their obstinacy there. No matter what God says, go find the old paths. Nope, we don't want to find the old paths. Listen to me. Nope, we don't want to listen. Whatever God says, we want to do the opposite. And it's not just a problem where the poor people or the people who are outside power think this way. He says, from the least to the greatest, everybody, prophet to priest. The prophets and the priests, they're not speaking God's words. They're speaking whatever everybody wants to hear. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. They don't know how to blush. That is, when they commit abominations, when they are serving idols, when they are living wickedly, nobody says, man, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. No one says, oh, I'm embarrassed by what I did. They don't even know what it means to be ashamed. God's people got into a really, really bad place. We could talk more and more about this. The whole book is full of warnings like these. 
We could talk about how they, they thought they could do all kinds of wickedness in chapter 7 and then rush to the temple and say, well, we're here in the temple. It's God's temple. God's going to spare his temple. As if their actions somehow over, uh, don't overrule God's protection of his own place. He also speaks to the evil of the leaders. And that is a unique problem, isn't it? When we serve under leaders who are wicked men and women, just as they did, there is a frustration that says you should be someone from whom more is expected because you are a leader. And when you turn your back on God, it not only affects you and your family, but it affects all of those whom you lead. There is a, a depressing kind of feeling you get from reading these passages. Depressing in what it would be like to live amongst a people like that. And I want to remind you that even with regard to people, Jeremiah found hope that people can still change. In fact, that's really the point of the whole book. The point of the whole book of Jeremiah is that these people need to change. Turn the page back to Jeremiah chapter 4. Jeremiah 4. This is the reason God sent Jeremiah to try to appeal to the people to change. Jeremiah 4 and verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Break up your fallow ground. It's the image of that hard ground. You need to get it ready for the seeds to be sown in it. Take that hard heart and work on it. Break it up. Because the threat is, if you don't, I will. I'm going to come and shake you up in such a way that your heart will be changed from that hardened position. But that is what Jeremiah is about. That God expects his people to change because people can change. People can circumcise their hearts. People can break up their fallow ground. And there is just a unique optimism to me throughout the book of Jeremiah. It is surprising when you know that God knows what's going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning. And yet he says things like sending Jeremiah down to the potter's house. And at the potter's house, the potter has a pot and it's warped in his hand. And so he fashions it and makes it into something else. And this is what he says about that at the potter's house. If that nation, he says, concerning which I have spoken, turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. So at the potter's house, Jeremiah learns God can work with whatever we give him. If we want to change, he'll change. If we want to continue to sin, he'll continue in punishment. Or God sends Jeremiah, Jeremiah 26 and verse 3, and he says, It may be that they will listen and everyone will turn from his evil way, that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. I love that, it may be. He says it again in chapter 36 and verse 3, It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Do you see what it is? God doesn't want to punish them. That's not what God wants. Have I any delight in the death of the wicked, he says in Ezekiel. That's not what God wants. What God wants is to save them. God wants them to change. And so he says time and time again, Jeremiah, go preach. It may be. Maybe this time they'll listen. Maybe this sermon is the one that will get them. Maybe finally they'll hear me. Maybe this will break through. And yet, ultimately God does bring judgment. 
The city of Jerusalem is overrun and destroyed. Even that is not the end of hope. It's not the end of hope that these people can still change. Go with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. God looks beyond even that judgment to a renewed people, a changed people that are changed by the difficulty they go through in the judgment. Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 1. Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. See what God promises there? He says new shepherds are going to come. That's in verse 4. Shepherds who will care for them and they will fear no more nor be dismayed. In other words, when your leaders refuse to change, I'll give you leaders who will be what you need to be. That this situation is not going to always continue the way it is. And then ultimately he says, I'm going to set up my branch. I believe this is the Messiah. The branch, the son of David who is going to rule over the people and be the shepherd that they're truly seeking. But he is saying, don't give up hope because your leaders are not what they should be. Because that can all change. Turn the page to Jeremiah 24. When you think about those hard-hearted people we talked about, you remember God says, do this, and they say, no, we don't want to. We don't want to pay attention. We don't want the, the old paths. Jeremiah 24, beginning in verse 4. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, who have sent, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Different kind of heart, different kind of people. A heart to know that I am the Lord. A heart to know that I am their God and they are my people. What he is telling through Jeremiah is that people are not always going to be the way they are in this moment. And as frustrating as it is to deal with people who will not change, there is still hope that people can change. Now, let me explain why we need that truth in our time today. It is important because as frustrated as we get with people, and I mean people in our society and people in our government, and I mean people that we engage with online, and I mean people in our local churches and in our neighborhoods and in our schools, one of the most dangerous things is that we easily become jaded about people. And we assume that people will always be the way they are in the moment that we meet them. Now, we are not that way. We don't think that way about ourselves. But we begin to think that way about others, that people are never going to change. And I'm not suggesting that we should become naive. And I am not suggesting that it is easy for people to change. It is not. I am saying 
that because God is still active, people can still change. And because God is still at work and God's word is at work, we should expect it. Because God is going to be working on people. That's what he does. And Jeremiah reminds us that we can take hope in that. Now that process will be extremely painful and difficult. It is for us. It is for others. Most major changes are painful and difficult. But God can bring even very difficult times into our lives to accomplish something that mere words cannot. There comes a point where all the words just have to stop. Because as God time and time again sends his prophets over and over again, the people become harder and harder and harder. And so God has to act in a different way. And he does by bringing the Babylonian. So my application here is twofold. People can still change. First, it means that I need to always be willing to change, to respond to God. I am never perfect the way I am. I'm never good. God's not done with people. And we can't afford to give up on people when they can still change and become more of what God wants them to be. Second, there's still hope because circumstances can still improve. You know, things get bad in the time of Jeremiah. Very bad. They're under siege by the Babylonian army, which means their food supply is cut off. They resort to cannibalism. The king tries to sneak out of the city, He's captured. His sons are murdered in front of him. The city is burned. The temple is burned. Land that has been for centuries in certain families, given in the time of Joshua to certain families, is now abandoned with no hope that that will ever be my land again. As the people are marched off into a land where they don't speak the language, hundreds of miles from home, many of them never to return. You might think it was easier for the people who were left behind, right? Because there's a small remnant that's left behind. But actually, we learn about that in Jeremiah, and things were worse then. Because the one guy who seems to be a leader is assassinated, and a sort of civil war breaks out where the people decide it'd be better to go to Egypt. It's a hard time. And it seems to me that it is a supremely unlikely place to find hope. But that is exactly what happens with Jeremiah. God speaks through Jeremiah to give hope to him and to all the people of Judah that circumstances are not always going to be the way circumstances are right now. Let's look at that. Jeremiah 24, read with me again verse 4. Jeremiah 24 and verse 4, Then the word of the Lord came to me and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. Do you hear that? That is good news for these people. I will bring you back. Where I pulled you up, I'm going to plant you again. Where I've torn down, I'm going to build up again. Things will not be the way they are in this moment for good. Jeremiah 25, next chapter. Jeremiah 25 and verse 11. 
This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. By the way, he says some some really sharp things about Babylon at the end of the book. Verse 14, For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. What he is saying is, the way things are right now, I'm going to turn them over. Now it'll be a while. After 70 years, you're going to serve the king of Babylon 70 years, but then I'm going to judge Babylon. And there's going to be disaster that comes on them, just like disaster has come on you. I'll take care of them in time. It's sort of that feeling. I'm always, I always go back to sports. Um, as a sports guy, it's that feeling where there's, there's the teams that are the top dogs. Right now, it's Alabama in college football. I know some don't like to hear that. Um, right now, it's Alabama. And so it feels like Alabama will always be number one. But someday, Alabama won't be number one. And you see, it's that idea that someday, God is saying, right now, Babylon's number one. They're at the top. But someday, they're going to fall, and you will rise. Have hope in that. Things are not always going to be the way they are right now. It feels like it will because that's the way circumstances feel to us. But it's not so. Go with me to Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. I put this on the board in the beginning. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, it says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you in exile. At one point, to emphasize this, God makes Jeremiah go buy a field which, by the way, it seems like a waste of money, doesn't it, when the whole city's about to be destroyed? But he goes and buys a field, and God says, this is what's going to happen. Someday my people are going to come back, and they're going to buy fields again. Things are going to go back to normal someday. So here is why this is relevant. Circumstances can still improve, and we tend to think they don't. We tend to think that things will always be the way they are. And especially is that true when we go through hard times. My issues in my job feel like they will never be resolved. I feel like I'll never get on top of this mountain of debt I'm in. My struggles in my relationships where I can't seem to find the person I want to be with for the rest of my life seems like it'll be forever. Challenging times in my life feel like they will never stop. And Jeremiah says, if he can find hope when his nation is being destroyed, then you and I can find hope that our circumstances are not always going to be the way that they are. Now, that's not a promise. I'm not saying God guarantees things are always going to work out great. But I am saying Jeremiah reminds us that circumstances are not permanent. So my application is twofold. One, what we need is to learn contentment with our circumstances while anticipating that hopefully things may improve as we trust God and that God's got our best interests at heart. That is, we look for the positives of our situation. We look for God and what God is doing to grow and deepen our faith. I still hope that things will improve, but I will be fine either way. And the second 
is that we need to be patient with other people, understanding that their circumstances are shifting as well. I'm not sure we think about that very often. We know a lot about our circumstances, and we think a lot about that. But when we look at other people, we always seem to think that they're not going through anything. We need to understand that they deserve patience. It's hard for them too. They are trying to learn contentment while anticipating better things too. And they need me to be patient and hopeful about them. And the third thing I want to say is there's still hope because challenges can still become blessings. One of the most encouraging thoughts in difficult times like Jeremiah's time is the idea that God specializes in turning challenges into blessings. That's really what he does. In fact, very often, he will allow the challenge just for that reason. It will make us better than we were without it. Turn the page to Jeremiah 30. Jeremiah 30, in verse 10. Jeremiah 30, in verse 10, the text says, Then fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For behold, I will save you from far away, and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have quiet and ease, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with you to save you, declares the Lord. I will make a full end of all the nations among whom I scattered you, but of you I will not make a full end. I will discipline you in just measure, and I will by no means leave you unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your hurt is incurable, your wound is grievous, there is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you, they care nothing about you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable, because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered, and all who prey on you I will make a prey, for I will restore health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declares the Lord, because they have called you an outcast. It is Zion for whom no one cares. This passage is helpful because what he does is to give a purpose for the judgment. That purpose is in verse 11 where he says, I will discipline you in just measure. I will discipline you. There is something that Israel, Judah here, needs to learn. They need to grow. They are not what they should be. Negative consequences help them. They bless them. And there is also an awareness that God has done something for them that they could never have done for themselves. He talks about there is none to heal you, and then he says, I will heal you. I will fix your problems because no one else can. You are in need. Sometimes it is stripping away our own sense of power and control that helps us most connect to God. That I am not in control of my life, and I really never have been. And I'm not sure of anything that would drive that lesson home quite like having everything you own taken away from you and being marched into slavery. Like what happens to the people of Jerusalem. And God says there's good that comes from that. You learned something there. In fact, one of the amazing things I learned as I studied Jeremiah this week is that God expects this to be a total redefinition of their understanding of God, that this experience is going to transform their relationship with God. I want to show you that. Look with me in Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah 16. Jeremiah 16 and verse 14, he says, Therefore... Jeremiah 16, 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but 
as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. That is an awesome statement. You know, throughout the Old Testament, the origin story of Israel has to do with Egypt and the Exodus and the plagues and how God brought them out with a mighty hand. And he says, you know what? You're not going to say that anymore. You're not going to think that way about me anymore. I am going to be redefined in your eyes. Now I'm going to be the God, not the God of Egypt. I'm going to be the God who brought you back home after the Babylonian captivity. You see, that's something new for you. And he says this in another place in chapter 23. He says, that's going to be something new, where now my relationship with you is defined by what I did for you, not what I did for your father so many generations ago. Something new has happened, and it will enliven your spiritual life. You will be changed by this. Look in chapter 31 with me, in Jeremiah 31. That is also the thought, I believe, behind this this section, chapter 31, Beginning in verse 31. Jeremiah 31 and verse 31. Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make within the house, with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. A new covenant, he says, where no longer do people have to be taught about God. Here's what Jehovah is. Here's what Jehovah does. Instead, they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, because I will have forgiven their sin. Something new. Now, I understand that this is talked about in the New Testament as the covenant Jesus brings. And of course, the forgiveness idea fits in very well with that. But I also believe Jeremiah is talking about how God is going to renew the covenant because these people are going to come back broken, ready to serve Him, and understanding on a deeper level who Jehovah is and what He wants from them. And that is exactly what happens. That's what happens when you read through Ezra and Nehemiah. It is a different spirit among the people. They are changed by what they have experienced God took a challenge and made it a blessing for them. These lessons are underscored by the difficulty of them. I want you to turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Next book over, Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is a companion to Jeremiah. Most believe Jeremiah wrote it. It is a book that describes the ruins of the city. As its name indicates, it is not a very hopeful book. It's a book of sadness. But in the middle of the sadness, in the middle of the ashes, I want you to see that there are some things that Jeremiah says we need to remember about God as we look around. Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Lamentations 3 and verse 19. Lamentations 3, 19. Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. I tell you, there is a maturity to these words that I don't have the words to tell you about. 
that Jeremiah is able to look at everything he has suffered and everything he has seen and to say, I still know about my God. Great is your faithfulness. I still know that I can hope in him. Can you imagine wandering around and looking at the charred ruins of the temple and saying, I know your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Jeremiah, even Jeremiah, is deepened by this experience. Verse 28, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust that there may be hope. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. Jeremiah finds hope in the ashes. Hope that God will turn even this into something beautiful and wonderful. Challenges can still become blessings. We don't like challenges. We don't like difficulty. We want it to end and we want it to end now. And especially it vexes us and disheartens us when we feel like the the challenge may never end. We don't see an end in sight. We have our struggles with this. People who are realizing that a a sickness is not something they're going to get over, something they're going to live with for the rest of their lives. Relationships that are breaking down in our families, marriages that are struggling, financial problems, Real issues, they hurt, they're hard. And we wonder, will things work out okay? Will it be happily ever after? It sure doesn't look like it. I'm not trying to say that there is always going to be an end, finite end to our troubles. I don't know that. But I am saying, There is still hope, always hope, that God can turn those challenges into blessings. That God can refine our character. That God can wake us up through challenges. God can humble us and teach us to rely on him rather than on ourselves. That God can encourage our brothers through us. That God can reach the world through us. That God can add to our patience through our difficulty. And even in physical things, we know this, we see the great value in physical things of overcoming challenges. And when we have overcome a challenge, we feel a great sense of pride and accomplishment. How much more spiritually when we have overcome the challenges and see God is guiding a process, changing our challenges into blessings. So my application is twofold. One, we need to learn to gain hope by trusting that God is guiding us through challenges. Discipline and growth and strength are found here. The words of lamentation where Jeremiah is ready to suffer and still trust. God makes new things possible through our suffering and through our trouble. There is still hope. If that's true of Jeremiah, as he sifts through the rubble of Jerusalem, it is true in my life.
and in yours. And second, we need patience with other people who are experiencing challenges and difficulty to speak words of hope to them, to help them through their challenges, to help them understand, maybe in a delicate way, how God can help them and make this difficult time into something wonderful. Not that we'd want to experience it again, but that we can see the value in it and we can see that God was behind it all along. Now, such people are going to be difficult to deal with at some times. They're going to need patience. Sometimes they may be angry with us. Sometimes they may be angry with God. But we can be a positive influence for them. We can be patient with them. There is still hope that people can still change, that circumstances can still improve, that challenges can still become blessings. The reason that there's still hope is that God hasn't changed. He is the same God. In fact, through the frustrations and difficulties of life, we learn to understand God more deeply. Would you pray with me about that? Our God and Father, we are so thankful to you for this time that we've been allowed to open up your word together and to study from it. We're thankful for Jeremiah, for the the life that he lived, faithful obedience to you, the suffering he went through and willfully endured so that he could communicate your message. And we thank you, Father, that you preserved this word down for us today. Father, we are beset by many challenges and difficulties. We are frustrated with those in the world and we're frustrated with ourselves. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by our problems and our circumstances. Father, we are a people in need of your guidance and help. And Father, we pray that you will bless us to see with different eyes and to find hope through all the difficulty and negativity of life. We pray, Father, that you'll help us to remember that you are with us, that you guide us, that you want what's best for us, even if we can't always see what that is in the moment. Give us, Father, the heart of Jeremiah to trust you and to trust your faithfulness. And I pray that you'll bless us to be able to help one another, to bear one another's burdens through these difficulties, to pick each other up, to strengthen the hands that hang down. And I pray that you'll bless us as a congregation that we'll look after one another and that we'll be a light to those around us as we show that you're walking with us through the difficulties. And Father, I pray that you'll touch hearts if there is someone here who needs to respond to your gospel and who needs to lay down the weights of sin or of trouble in their lives, that they'll be willing to come to you, that we can help them to be right with you. I pray all these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation of the call of Jesus. If you're ready to become a Christian and have your sins washed away by submitting to His will and baptism and turning away from those sins, or if there's any need that we can help you to make right, please come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage you.